independent. You know it. You love it. Hello and welcome to Rockland World Radio. And this show has a name now. Uh, we're going to call this show New York Update. We have a, a great guest today. Um, who am I? My name is Jake Jacobs. I'm a New York City school teacher. I also write for The Progressive. And where I live, here in Rockland County, we have Julie Goldberg here. Julie Goldberg for State Senate. Hello. Thank you for having me. And Julie Goldberg will just say... Um, She's been a teacher for all this time. Uh, How long have you been teaching? Well, I was a teacher, an English teacher in high schools for four years, and then I became a school librarian. So I think it's almost 20 years now. Okay. The reason why you're getting into this race, there's something really important going on here in Rockland County. Why don't you explain the real motivation behind your run? Okay, so I live and have lived since 2002 in the 38th Senate District of New York, which covers most of Rockland County and a little slice of Westchester County, Ossining and Briarcliff Manor. And for the past eight years, we've been represented by Senator David Carlucci, who runs in district as a progressive. So all of us who live here get mail saying that Senator Carlucci is in Albany fighting for us on a wide range of issues that we as Democrats care about. On gun safety, on public education, on the environment, on women's rights. And yet, it turns out that this is a somewhat disingenuous claim because Senator Carlucci is part of a group of eight senators in Albany called the Independent Democratic Conference, led by Senator Jeff Klein, who do not conference with the mainstream Democrats. So what that means is In the beginning of the new legislative season, when it's time to elect the leadership, instead of throwing their support behind Senator Andrea Stewart-Cousins as the leader, they throw their support, not directly but indirectly, behind the Republican leader, John Flanagan. Now, the past two legislative sessions, Democrats have not had a numeric majority with or without the IDC and Senator Simcoe-Felder from Brooklyn, who is not an IDC member, but also plays these games. But in 2012, Democrats would have had a numeric majority. And some of the IDC members have adopted very hurt tones, saying, how can anyone accuse us of creating this Republican majority? Um, You know, we wouldn't even have, even if we conference with the Democrats, we wouldn't have a majority. This is, of course, a ridiculous and irresponsible thing to say, because Had they, in 2012, joined together to create the Democratic majority, the New York State Legislature and the New York State Senate would have had real accomplishments to run on, which might have flipped even more Republican seats blue and made their own re-election as Democrats easier without the help of the IDC. So this claim that they have nothing to do with it, their hands are clean, is, is nonsense. You know, we both supported David Carlucci when he first ran. He was, he was the Clarkstown clerk. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wrote my license to get my dog, you know. <laughs> and he was a re- really nice guy. Always has been kind yes, of a, a really... always, and I want to say that in the interactions I've had with him, he's been nothing but pleasant and polite. Super nice On guy. On a personal level, he's, he's a very, a very <laughs> polite young man. Right, but now th- this is where the ominous music starts. Because when he got elected in 2010, 2010. and then he, and so then he gets seated in January 2011, and that's when uh, constituents, the people in his district, found out uh, that he was joining this caucus, the IDC. 
and we kind of knew, you know, he was in a, he was in a race. People weren't really sure whether he was going to win, and then things were kind of in doubt. And he started taking some money at that time from Jeff Klein, who's the leader of the IDC. Uh, after he was seated and he was our representative up in Albany, that's when we found out, hey, he's breaking away from the mainline Democrats, and they're forming their own parliamentary unit, unit, right? (laughs) They call it a conference rather than a caucus. Which, which again, allows them to very disingenuously say, we don't caucus with Republicans. Right. We collaborate. Yeah, so you use a different word. In a divided Senate where there's, you know, party line votes, Democrat, Republican, and you have... At that time, it was four people, right? You say, well, we can make the difference. We can throw our support over to the Republicans and make a sweet deal with them. Or we can throw our support over to the Democrats. And you can go issue by issue, and you can really take control of the entire Senate because everybody else is such a predictable party-line voter, right? They chose to stay separate in a power-sharing agreement with Republicans. They were controlling what comes up for a vote. Right. They had uh, Jeff Klein had the gavel every other day so that he could bring legislation to the floor. I mean, that is power. David Carlucci was a founding member and he never told us that he was going to be running for, you know, with the IDC when he was elected. And then what happened in subsequent re- re-elections? He had said to various groups within the Democratic Party that he was done with the IDC, that he didn't plan to conference with them anymore, he had seen the light, he had come to see the errors of his ways, and he would once again be joining with the mainstream of the party and actually doing in Albany the things he told us he was doing all along. Right, and I remember this because he was going to get a primary challenger, and David Carlucci told all the constituents, don't worry, I'm not going to be in the IDC anymore. And so the primary opponent stepped away, and he got reelected. And then, as soon as he got reseated, they said, "Oh, guess what? I'm back with the IDC. Ha ha ha! Fooled ya!" And we're like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> um, and at that point, he really started to frustrate the people in the committee and the chair. They all made statements to the Journal News saying that they were really upset about that. And and we should point out that one of the parts of the deal of being in the IDC, one of the sweeteners from the Republican side, is that they wouldn't run very serious challenges in the general election against any IDC member. Right. And and this is a really big point because there was a lot of this going on, especially in Long Island, where the Democrats would kind of stand down and not run against Republicans. There, there was all these kind of deals brewing. And, you know, the IDC was away. Republicans and Democrats, they were in these backroom agreements where they were literally sharing power we're also deciding ahead of time who is going to have a, an opponent. It's extremely undemocratic, small d, undemocratic. Right. So now we come to 2018. The people had had enough. A couple of groups that sprung up after Trump was elected. Uh, there was a Rockland Citizens Action Network. There was Rockland United. All there's the indivisible p- groups. The indivisible groups. There's the Preserve Ramapo. There's like so many groups in, in Rockland. Everybody was a buzz. And they were all saying, wow, we got a primary Carlucci. We have to really keep him honest because he's just going to do this again and again. And so it started to get pretty late in the game. Uh, All of these promised candidates weren't uh, materializing. And especially after April, after Cynthia Nixon started running for governor, um, about two weeks after that, she had made the IDC a big issue in the first weeks of her campaign. And shortly after she started raising awareness about the IDC, 
Governor Cuomo met with all the members of the IDC and they came out of this meeting saying, that's it, we're done, there's no more IDC, end of story. And that was just a few months ago in April. So that took temporarily the wind out of the sails of a lot of people who would have run primary challenges against all of these IDC members around the state. That's right. There's three or four in New York City. There's one in Syracuse, one is, uh, in, in, yeah. Uh, yeah, Bronx, uh, Yonkers, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's this big no IDC movement all over, mm -hmm. you know, mostly concentrated in the city, but all over. I remember when Senator Mike Gennaris, who was the deputy leader, and uh, Senator Andrew Stewart-Cousins came to Westchester, they came to Rockland, they were making they speeches, and they were saying, this has got to stop. I mean, we have to have a Democratic majority. And at that time, somebody asked the, the chair here in Rockland County, do we have primary challengers against David Carlucci? She said, yes, we have multiple. And everyone was like, wow, this is great. They were all clapping. I mean, you should have seen the scene. I wish I had. A couple of weeks went by, and when the uh, IDC went through this announcement saying that they were going to reunify the local Democratic chair and the local and some of the Democratic com committee members decided they were going to back David Carlucci, that they were all the county chairs, I imagine, had to sign on to this deal. And they were part of the IDC coming back, fighting for a majority, and then part of that deal was not having any primary challengers. Right. And this is kind of when you step forward. Right, because I wasn't one of those primary challengers from before. I had been aware of the IDC and I just kept thinking, I must not be understanding this. It can't really be that my Democratic senator is actually conspiring to make the New York State Senate a Republican body. I must have some detail of this wrong. So I heard about the meeting where Senator Giannaris and Sen Senator Stuart Cousins were coming out to the library. So I thought, let me go to this meeting and, and get the real story straight from the people who know it. And it was after that meeting that I was saying, okay, I am on board. That's right. We were all going rah, rah, rah for this person. And we're like, who are they? Where are they? What's happening? You know, that person never materialized. There was a couple of names that were thrown out, which were really, really good names. Yeah, these are and, all good people. And, you know, in one way or another, they all kind of got talked out of it, or maybe they were just kind of testing the waters. One of the really big things is to educate people about what the IDC is. David Carlucci has a lot of name recognition after seven or eight years. And you went to one of these grassroots meetings. You said enough was enough. So tell us, how is it that the IDC, or David Carlucci, is able to, to say that he's fighting for these progressive pieces of legislation, but that none of them ever get passed? And David Carlucci has not brought that funding to the district because the CFE funding, or the foundation aid funding, has not been fully funded up in Albany. The CFE issue came up for a vote on a hostile amendment. There was some random piece of legislation that was literally about education for, like, barbers. The state senator down in the city named Kevin Parker said, hey, you know what, this is a pretty good time for me to attach an amendment that says, aside from this barber education bill, let's also pay all of the needy school districts in the state, the $4 billion that they're owed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this bill had already passed in the Assembly, and so here it was coming up for a vote in the state Senate. All of the mainline Democrats voted for it, and all the Republicans voted against it, and the IDC stood up and walked out. They stood up and walked out.
what you've been saying is that the way that they have been able to get away with this and to, to really trick people is to say, hey, I support that bill, knowing it'll never come up for a vote. And they can say, I co-sponsored that bill. Oh, that's right? the worst. Yeah. Right? And so they I co-sponsored that bill that I know for a fact will never get anywhere near the Senate for a vote. Because they know that the Republicans or the IDC are in charge of what comes up for a vote. So it's, it's been very easy for them to say, I'm a progressive, or that I want the schools to be funded. They promised in January of 2017 that they would fully fund all of this foundation aid money that was owed to these needy districts all over the state within three years. Later that year, when it came time to actually put their money where their mouth was, they stood up and walked out. And that is really that was really awkward because they were put in a position where they did have to vote for something. And they go back to their districts and they tell us, yes, I'm for this legislation. I'm for that. But, but with it, no real legislative accomplishments to show for it. If the IDC were as, as effective as they've often said it was in the districts, then where's the legislative accomplishments? One of the one of the things the IDC is campaigning on is that they got the $15 an hour minimum wage. Right. Well, this is the 38th Senate District, most, most of which is in Rockland County. Not only do we not have the $15 an hour minimum wage, there is no date by which we are guaranteed to have it. So to campaign here saying, I'm very progressive and I've done everything that you could have possibly asked. Look, I got you the $15 an hour minimum wage. Well, then where is it? Right. That's the other thing, because even when things are extremely popular right. and the Republicans know that this thing is going to pass one way or the other, what they'll do then is they'll water down the legislation, right? Right. And a lot of that happens at the very last minute, and it's not very well publicized. It's in the big ugly, and there's so much in the big ugly right. that, that who has time to pay attention to the one aspect that... And so what the big ugly means is, for people that don't know, it's one big budget bill that's passed in the darkness of night at like 3 a.m. in the morning where nobody knows the actual details. We only find out afterwards uh, what happened. And also state senators and state assembly members also don't know a lot of times what's in the bill. They're just told by their conference leaders who are in the back room, vote for this. Or else, you know, and it's blackmail, you know, you got to vote for this. You know, sometimes they'll say, hey, you got cover in your district because you're taking a lot of heat. But, you know, we're going to make sure that the, that these things pass. So it's very, very political. And, um, you know, slowly but surely, David Carlucci has gone up to Albany and become very adept at uh, explaining to people, we got minimum wage passed. Hey, we got marriage equality passed. And he will just run off this list of things. Marriage equality was in 2011. Right. So let's talk about another issue that's in Rockland <laughs> County. Okay. And, and it's also um, happening up in Orange County, our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And down in New York City, and this is the issue of ultra-Orthodox schools, the yeshivas, that are controversial because they're getting money, they're getting state funding, and as a teacher, you know that we have lots and lots of strings attached to our funding. In the private schools or in the ultra-religious schools, there are a number of yeshivas, and it's actually not that many. No, it's a small minority right. of yeshivas. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, most perceptions of uh, private schools, Catholic schools, mm -hmm. uh, religious schools, they do a pretty good job of giving kids a well-rounded education. As do most yeshivas. Right, as do most yeshivas. But there are some, they are required by law to offer all of the courses that kids take in public schools, which is math, 
learning how to speak English. Science, social studies, gym, art, you name it. You know, there's supposed to be health classes and all of the basics that public schools are supposed to get because the law says that the yeshivas have to be substantially equivalent. Right. And that, that language is very vague. My, my children went to a non-religious private school for some years when they were little and every school does things its own way. Private schools all do things their own way. They have a particular philosophy or they have a particular religion or they have a particular tradition that you're following. But what substantially equivalent means is not that you have to have the same curriculum and that's that's probably a misunderstanding. It's saying that you have to teach the same subjects and you have to have roughly equivalent outcomes. It's okay, it's not saying that you know all children have to read at age five. It's a, if you say we're gonna make them all read by the time they're eight, that's fine. It doesn't mean that you have to teach the same sequence, for example, of math classes or science classes in the high school. You don't have to teach yeah. physics, chemistry, biology in that order, but you have to be responsible for educating the children after whatever fashion you're doing. And if you make the, the comparison to homeschooling, you are still responsible for educating that child. And if you have not taught that child to read and write in English and to do some math and to know some basic civics and history and science, then you could conceivably be charged with educational neglect. Right. So there is no sort of private school that should be held to lower standards than homeschools that aren't getting any funding. Right. The funding is almost a secondary issue because even if you took away all the money for textbooks and busing and special education that our private schools in New York are entitled to, they would still be responsible for providing a substantially equivalent education. And, and this is not, I don't want to blow this issue out of proportion. I think there are some people in the district who have seized on this issue as a proxy for some other things. Yes. But which is, which is the, the, the enormous, battle over yeah. East Granite Post School Board. And, right. And which is happened. an enormous issue that, that we should also talk about. But yes, every child in New York needs to get a proper education to prepare him or her to take their place in the 21st century. And it's not happening. We are hearing more and more whistleblowers. We're hearing students and parents that actually attend these schools. These are not outsiders yeah, that are not. that are trying to attack these schools. These are parents that say, "Hey, I'm born in New York, and you know my kid isn't learning English." Right. And and they're also concerned that they're not getting the skills that they need to be a productive member of society. Right. Uh, and this is me talking because the community is following the political dictates of their religious leaders. They all block vote. Well, it is, it is a, a, a very uniform thing that in these ultra-Orthodox schools that they vote in a block mm -hmm. and that they are then able to wield a lot of bargaining power. And you see a lot of people coming and catering for the block vote because it can make the difference in a lot of these elections. But let's analyze that a little bit, too. Let's analyze this term, the block vote, because I think that... You know, I, I worked at the Finkelstein Memorial Library mm -hmm. for a while on Route 59, which is right, right in the heart of the, the ultra-Orthodox community, and the Orthodox community, and the modern Orthodox community, and the conservative community, right? And what most people don't realize, and what I didn't even fully appreciate until I was working there, is how diverse that community is. So I think people outside of East Ramapo, or sometimes even within it, say like, oh, the block, and they mean every person that to them is identifiably Jewish. Right. Right? And that is actually not the block. Right, that's right? not what we're talking and, about. But the problem is that the more people from outside the community say the block, the block, the block, the more people who are anywhere in that community are inclined to say, well, if you're against them, you're against me. Right. And when you look at the interests 
in this very diverse community. Some people, for example, are renters and some people are homeowners. Homeowners are always going to be concerned about property taxes and especially if they're also paying private school tuition. Homeowners are concerned about their property values. Homeowners are concerned about the local environment. They're concerned about water quality. They're concerned about the sewers. They're concerned about the traffic, infrastructure. So I want to push back on the idea that there's this one thing called the block and they always vote a particular way and they all have the same interests. I think one of the things that makes a group of voters a block is if they feel pressure from, from outsiders and misunderstood, right? But when we're talking about for example, the environment. Most people in this entire 38th Senate district who own a home are concerned about the local environment because that directly affects their property values. So I think it's important to kind of pull apart the different interests within this group, not by their religious denomination within the group, but within the interests of people as voters. And yes, and some people are going to vote however their religious leaders tell them. That's been the case for a while, but that's not everybody. And some of the issues that we're talking about are issues that actually divide that community because there are people in that community who are paying lots of money to a school they love that's preparing their kid religiously, preparing their kid secularly, preparing them for any kind of career their kid might want. And they, I don't think, have too much sympathy with people who want to keep other kids, right. um, third, third, fourth, fifth generation Americans, in still, the dark, so yeah, to speak. Still not, still not speaking proper English. <clears throat> okay. So, yes, we are clarifying that we're talking about a subset of schools. There was a, uh, a report put out. They listed 49 schools. You know, it's definitely not the entirety of the Absolutely. community or the diaspora of, of, of Jewish people. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, it is a raging issue here. And the East Ramapo school board issue, we would have to yes. talk about that another time. But this does bring us to the political forces that are at play. When it comes to education, there's a lot of there's a lot of power that's consolidated up in Albany. Yes. And you know, right now we have a, a closely divided Senate. We have literally 31 and 31 and then there's Simka Felder who is this who is, who is a delegation unto himself. Right. And he is this really convenient excuse for the IDC and for David Carlucci to say, hey, it's not us, it's him. He's the one that's throwing power over to the Republicans. Even though he has at times said that he would join the Democrats, you know, if they took the majority because he wants basically just to get the best deal for his own district. But it's not a coincidence that the Senate is evenly divided. It's my observation that there, the, the big billionaire hedge fund managers out there like Daniel Loeb and Robert Mercer and the Waltons and, yes, the Koch brothers and, and all these people that are not even here in New York, they can kind of just spend unlimitedly. You know, they could, I mean, you know, they just spent enough to get the majority and then they kind of stopped. <laughs> you know, the, the, what the IDC really represents and what David Carlucci represents is somebody that's willing to share funders with the Republicans. When it comes to these issues not ever coming for a vote, it really is kind of like giving up New York State, right? Giving up New York State. I mean, there is a map somewhere. When the Koch brothers have their billionaire summits, they have a map somewhere, and they're like, well, we need one of these three chambers. If we don't have the governor, we need the assembly or the Senate. What can we do? And they've had the state Senate wrapped up for a while where they've been able to block things like campaign finance reform, to block 
Election reform. Election reform. Early or legalization. This whole host of issues, right? In Mm -hmm. in New York, New York is supposed to be this blue state, this stronghold. Uh, And common misperception. The IDC is called at times Trump's Democrats, Mm -hmm. who are helping the Republicans. But when you look at the funding sources, the IDC had two different slush funds or or house cleaning accounts that took in money and they distributed it out to all the various IDC members, including David Carlucci, which was coming from some pretty nasty places. Um, you know, I would point out Daniel Loeb, who is one of the board members of Success Academy Charter Schools. He's also heavily invested in Puerto Rico debt and Puerto Rico vulture funds. Why a progressive Democratic state senator would want any money that was mixed in from that guy, I can't say. I think it's just the fact that people are not aware. Right. That people, people I was talking to somebody in New York City, someone who's very well informed about a lot of things politically because of their day job. And I said, now, where you live, who's your state senator? He said a name, and I said, no, that's your city councilman. <laughs> <laughs> and then he named his congresswoman. <laughs> um, we're, we're slowly getting there. Yeah, and it's like, I think the problem is that people around in and around New York are extremely aware of city policy, politics. They're extremely aware of national politics. I mean, you cannot walk into a restaurant or a coffee shop or anywhere without hearing people talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C., And because the city is this enormous center of gravity and Washington, D.C. is this enormous center of gravity, people lose sight of the fact that so much of our lives is dictated by what goes on in Albany. So in the city, for example, the MTA, that's controlled by the New York State Legislature. Our school funding, New York State Legislature. Um, Our environmental regulations, to a great extent, the New York State Legislature. And now, of course, that, that the right to choice is in danger. Roe v. Wade. Right? Now the imminent nomination of a new justice to the Supreme Court, people are starting to say, well, who's going to protect me in New York? I'm a member of this big, blue, progressive state. What are my rights? And turning out to find, oh, actually, you have no protection for choice in New York. You have nobody fighting to defend you against what's going on in Washington, D.C. So now, if people were not aware before about the power of Albany in all of our lives, now's the time to ask, Who is my state assemblyman or assemblywoman? Who is my state senator? Where do they fall on these questions about protecting New Yorkers against the depredations of the Trump administration? And I think people are finally becoming aware. I just hope that enough registered voters become aware in time for the September 13th primary. On a Thursday, people think of election day as being Tuesday, we're already going to have this situation where we're going to have a a relatively low voter turnout. We have to get people aware. Who represents you in the state Senate is a crucial question, and you need to find out as much as possible and vote accordingly. And so since Trump has been elected, we have seen these big resistance movements. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez took... Whose shirt you're wearing. That's right. (laughs) Uh, You know, all of a sudden, overnight rock star. I mean, she's pretty much guaranteed to get this house seat, you know, which is a really big thing for somebody that is, you know, a first-time candidate, um, that uh, she's an unabashed, you know, progressive. She's taking heat from the center of the party, the Democrat. You know, she's mm-hmm. she's getting, you know, mocked and uh, hurled insults at by, you know, Republicans that might not live in a district like the Bronx. But the thing is, where she lives in the Bronx and Queens, 
everybody was just automatically registered as a Democrat, mm -hmm. right? And so she just got people to turn out to vote. Can you talk a little bit about the obstacle that makes it hard for, for somebody to register as a Democrat at this point in time? Because yeah. New York has some really tough uh, election and by, uh, rules. And by tough, I'm assuming you mean backward. Or the worst in the country. Yes, among <laughs> the worst in the country, yes. Yeah. So one of the areas in which we desperately need reform in New York is election law. We make it difficult to register to vote. We make it difficult to vote. And one of the things we make it especially difficult to do, and just think, whose interests does this serve, is we make it very difficult to change your party registration. So if you meet somebody who's out canvassing for Julie Goldberg in the election, and you go, wow, she sounds great. I want to vote for her. And then you remember, oh, I registered independent. All right, let me switch to Democrat so I can vote in the next primary. Sorry, you're out of luck. You have to wait past the general election and into the new year before you can switch parties. So in New York State, this is the worst in the whole country. If you're, if you're changing party, you have to do so October of the previous calendar year. That means before the candidates even announce that they're running. Sure, before if, you have time to get excited about anybody. If, and the same thing goes for uh, Cynthia Nixon or Julie Goldberg, right? And, you know, it, it makes it very hard to get crossover voters. And so uh, this upcoming primary, which is Thursday, September 13th, it is going to be a matter of who brings out the most Democrats, the most registered Democrats. You right. can only be a registered Democrat to vote for Julie. Mm -hmm. That does present a challenge. On the other hand, you don't need that many votes to win. You just need more than the other person. In a low turnout primary, if you can motivate your people more than the other person motivates theirs, it's really a game of getting the these more involved, more aware, more savvy voters. And we're already on a great track for that because we had over 150 volunteers out collecting signatures for the petition period, which just ended last Thursday. We got over 3,000 petition signatures. You only need 1,000 to get on the ballot. We did not have a single paid petitioner. We, um, so we already have this army of volunteers who are ready and already have gone out to talk to their neighbors and friends and people they run into at the grocery store to say, let me tell you something. One, we're having a primary. Two, you have a choice. We're only going to increase those canvassing efforts. Senator Carlucci has much more money than I will ever have, right. <laughs> at least in this election. But there's a limit to what money can buy you. Money can buy you mailers, money can buy you ads, but money can't buy you passionate volunteers who are eager to get out there and knock on doors and write postcards and call their neighbors and let them know we're having a primary and you do have a choice. So this is going to be a great old-fashioned grassroots campaign going up against the established corporate Democrat. I mean, he definitely has corporate money. He has PAC money. When it comes to the result, it looks like it's a toss-up. It looks like things are in play here, and we have a long way to go. Oh, yeah. You know, I would like to see a little bit more media. Um, yeah, me too. But I think we will start to see some of that happening. I would also like to see some more issues discussed where the candidates are getting on the record. And so that's why I'm happy to have you here and talk about education and some of these other issues. Mm -hmm. And people can learn more about you. As this progresses, you know, I hope that more people come to realize that the person that you send up to Albany is supposed to represent your views. And it's supposed to be a two-way street. So yes. when, when people come up to you on the street and tell you about their issues, you must have seen, you know, some people trying to get you to prioritize something, yeah. right? Can you and, talk I really, and I really appreciate that because there are people who have come up to me with issues that I wouldn't have found out about any other way. Um, the first, our very first event was in Ossining, and an older gentleman came in with a manila folder mm -hmm. full of documents. 
And he's like, are you the candidate? And I said, yes. And he goes, I need you to read this. And I started to open. He goes, not now. There's too many documents. And when I brought it home, it was a very detailed account of how golf courses in Westchester are protected from paying taxes. And, and one of them belongs to Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Yeah, yeah but it, it, it was a problem before you know Donald Trump became president. And that's something that I really would not have known about otherwise. But issues that I've had, we've had a meeting just a couple of days ago where I met with um, activists about election reform. These are people who've been working passionately about on election reform for years in New York and butting their heads up against the fact that our election laws favor incumbents. And when you go to speak to your senator, if your senator is an incumbent, that person has no desire to change these laws. I've spoken with other groups who are extremely concerned about environmental issues, mm -hmm. who are interested in climate resilience, how we can prepare mm -hmm. our communities and protect our communities as the climate changes, as well as move to renewable fuels and keeping our water and air clean. Music have, to my ears. We have people that are, you know, that are passionately concerned with criminal justice reform. New York is not a blue progressive state when it comes to criminal justice, and maybe that's something we can talk about on another show. We, yeah. have, we have such a long way to go, and so many years now where the Assembly has been passing great bills that would move New York State forward into being the kind of state we like to think it is, mm -hmm. and so many years of having all of that just die in the Senate, and I think this is the year it comes to an end. Well, I'm hopeful myself, you know, as a teacher, um, I'm hopeful that we will have a blue wave, that we'll have a teacher wave, that we'll have some new blood, some fresh candidates to go up to Albany and really strike back at the Trump administration and the kind of culture of corruption, you know, that's going on in Albany that we're seeing in the headlines every day. We do have to wrap up, so we want to thank Richard at Rockland World Radio. Uh, we're going to be back here next Monday at 6 p.m. and do another show for you. Uh, this will also be available on the New York Update Facebook page, which if you want to uh, email me, catch me at newyorkartteacher at gmail.com. That's uh, only one taste. And uh, Julie, can you tell us how we can go to your website and make gigantic donations, yes. grassroots donations? Yes, please. Or even less than gigantic Well, donate donations. your time, yeah. donate yes. your passion. Yes. The website is Julie4, spelled out, J-U-L-I-E-F-O-R-N-Y-Senate.com. Julie4NYSenate.com. You can also find us on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram and in your neighborhood. So Julie is an accessible candidate and she's not afraid to talk to real people and you won't find her uh, one of these shifty politicians. She's a real person and so... Uh, I am. And, right, and so uh, please follow this race uh, as we get closer and closer to November. Thanks again to Richard and we will see you right back here next Monday. Thanks a lot. Welcome to the new sound of Rockland. Rocklandworldradio.com. Exciting online TV and radio. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Welcome, Welcome to the new sound.